Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver, at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg, at caregiverspace.org. Say hello, Adrian. Hello. She really is there. And we're coming to you live and on demand, 24-7, 25 global audio and video platforms, including places like, oh, let me just say, iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, HealthyLife.net, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, MixCloud, Listen Notes, Blueberry, Player FM, Podcast.com, VIP Internet Radio, TuneIn.com, Facebook Live, Owl's Tale, YouBook, CastBook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and, of course, caregiverdave.com. And we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and one of the top six best podcasts by caring.com, as well as number three podcast out of thousands of caregiver podcasts <laughs> on Feedspot. And we do have an exciting show planned for today. Holly Kelly is a gerontologist and a fellow in thanatology. Yay. Hopefully I said that right. <laughs> And an international and national multi-award winning speaker of the Amazon number one bestseller and number one new release, Sunrises and Sunsets. Sunrise, Sunset. Final Affairs, Forge with Flair, Finesse, and fun Functionality. There's an F-U-N in there. Holly is also host of a popular globally syndicated Aging Gratefully. She loves these play on words radio show who were <laughs> awarded as top as the top see she's good like us too as the top 15 shows on aging on the planet on the whole planet adrian coming <laughs> in as the number six show on aging in the world which is kind of like the planet but before we get started uh you probably have figured out holly we don't take ourselves very seriously here but before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Lauren Gelberg Golf. Golf, not golf. And she's a psychotherapist, author, and speaker, and has become best known for creating the powerful, life changing program for caregivers. Take your life back. And just a reminder you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 25 global <laughs> networks that I just mentioned earlier. And enough of that. Well, welcome to the show, Holly. I'm so excited to have you on. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Happy to join both of you today. Oh, good, good, Thank good. You. We like it when you're happy. Yes. <laughs> when the guest is happy, that's a good thing. So why don't you take a minute or two and introduce yourself? I like to ask my guest just, who is Holly Kelly? Why were you put on wow. this earth? Who is she? Wow. Uh, well, I, um, you've said some of it. Uh, my work is uh, focused on gerontology, and uh, gerontology is um, the study of aging and the problems that face the aged. And I also do work in thanatology, which you did a very good job with that term, uh, pronunciation. 
Really? And Maybe you can tell us what it is, too. Uh, well, it's awarded through the Association of Death Education and Counseling. It's extremely difficult to get. I'm very proud to um, have uh, work and great colleagues in this area. Uh, it's something like a credential that makes you an expert in death, dying, and bereavement. So it's an accreditation. And my work in gerontology, of course, is encouraging everyone to love the stage. Play on words, of course, right, Dave? Yes. <laughs> um, the word ages and the word stage and to love the stage that they're in. I uh, encourage everybody towards aging gratefully uh, through many practices that we can do that. But I also focus on end of life preparedness. I'm extremely passionate about helping people, encouraging people, getting, uh, giving them that gentle nudge to prepare for the end and inspire their grand new beginning. Holly, we didn't know who to expect. You know, usually someone's talking <laughs> on gerontology. Adrian says, what, is she 80? And I says, I don't know. I haven't looked at her picture yet. <laughs> but obviously, you are a very attractive 80-year-old. So uh, congratulations to that. Well, this, you know, aging gratefully has many benefits. <laughs> yes, when Indeed. I grew up, I want to look just like you. And um, on the on the male side, of course. But um, you might learn that I have spoken at a gerontological society there. What's it called? It's called the um, Hawaii Pacific Gerontological Society. Have you ever heard of them? I have not. I know um, it's a, a fun member place. of the Southern Gerontological they, they do it every society. two years, and I think this year they're doing one. It's a great place to go, and uh, of course, I don't know how they're doing it with the um, pandemic, but Right. Uh, Hawaii is. It's usually in, in September, shape. and Hawaii is a nice place to go to one of those conferences. And I, I spoke on the main stage for like 45 minutes and did 15 minutes of questions. So I felt pretty proud of myself oh my speaking goodness. on a national gerontological society thing. I think that was my very first uh, national speaking event. And it was a great place to be because I was already there. And they paid <laughs> me. I just everything. want to say uh, to you yeah. you are a bold, a brave, a talented speaker. Bold, you will go anywhere. brave, and talented. You, you will go anywhere and I will. bring it. Yeah. Well, it's and because of my mentor, Clint Arthur. He taught me that uh, always say yes, never say no. If you are <laughs> fearful, then you must. Like yes. Tony Robbins no, would you, say. You've done some really incredible speaking engagements. So. Yes, and many times I was afraid, and I knew I had to do it. And many times I couldn't go to sleep the night before in my hotel room saying, what have I gotten myself into, a TEDx? You and, rise to the And attention. I just reminded yes, myself that God brought me here for a reason, and he's going to give me what it takes. There's a verse that says, when you go before the judge, do not worry about what to say or how to say it, for the Holy Spirit will give you the words at the proper time. And so I would just go to bed, sleep like a baby, and i get up the next day and amazingly knock it out of the park. So I thank my mentor for that because he has made me bold and courageous. And uh, what do they say? Um, Fools rush in where devils fear to tread. So I don't know which one is true. Maybe they're both true. But let's talk about you. Enough about me already. <laughs> serve, <clears throat> I understand you served as an occasional child caregiver. You believe that some spam person is trying to call me while I'm trying to do a radio? That takes a oh, lot of nerve. Uh -oh. You talk about being bold. That's bold. That's bold. 
Yes. All right. Well, I turned them off. Um, so you served yes, I... as an occasional child caregiver to your stepfather at the age of 10 who was diagnosed with colon cancer. No wonder you're doing all of this. This was like at an early age. You just loved the elderly and uh, you're a natural born caregiver. Right? Am I right? I, can you be a natural born caregiver? Yes. You know, I, I, I heard that there are natural born caregivers because yes. those are the ones at four years old and oh help let me help you grandma with that and yeah. six years See, old. And, I, I never thought of myself as that. And you were on my show and we were kind of talking. And I actually at ten years old I just kind of I looked back and reflected on that and said, Wow, as you were talking about statistics, that was me. But at the time I just thought it was being part of the family and contributing right, yeah. and doing exactly. what needs to be done to keep a family together. Yeah, we were talking about child mm -hmm. caregivers and from the ages of eight to 18, there are 60 million that we know of child caregivers. They don't get food breaks. They don't uh, take their, uh, you know, lunch hour and they and don't. We call them, we call them young adults. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, many times they're skipping school because the parents tell them, you're not going to school today. Uh, we got to you got to watch grandma, you know, and oh, OK. And so some of them loved it. Some of them hated it. So obviously you were the ones that loved it because <laughs> you're still doing I think it. I just I thought it was part of life. And so, yeah, you know, there were times I think I told you that all I wanted to do one day after school was to watch um, yeah. Lost in Space, and oh, yeah. I, I did. I had the biggest crush Danger on Will Robinson, Robinson. Right? and so yes. I I really just wanted to watch that show. And my mom said, "Hey, go down and check on him." And a, a commercial came, and I stayed through the commercial. <laughs> and I was like, "I have to see the end of the show," and I didn't. I didn't go down. And I remember her being so frustrated with me and me feeling so guilty that I put the show. <laughs> Over. Uh, you know, she even has you know, the caregiver guilt, Adrian. She's a natural. Right. Built in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but there were nights yeah. that I, you know, we took shifts and stayed outside of his bedroom and whatever he needed, you know, if he needed something in the night, we would be right there. Well, Holly, let me take this guilt off your shoulders that's been plaguing you for many, many years. Um, yeah. I tell caregivers they should not feel guilty because they've got enough on their plate. And my God, you were a child. You deserved to watch the end of Lost in Space. You had nothing to feel guilty about. So just yes. take that guilt like a dirty diaper, wrap it up, and just throw it away. And okay. don't think about it again. Okay. I'm That's sending it to your spam. To you. I'm sending that diaper to your spam <laughs> caller. Good. And I will pulverize it. <laughs> so let's see here. You're talking about feeling... Uh, that we're all caregivers, and we are, you know, we all have kids or we're taking care of, you know, our dog or our cat or something always needs our care, doesn't it, on some level? I believe so, and I think that a lot of the world would look around and not even consider themselves or think of themselves as caregivers when, in fact, they actually qualify that because they just kind of put themselves in motion and did what needed to be done, but... I think of my mother who had two Pomeranians who, you know, the last one died at, I think, age 19. And uh, she had, you know, a caregiving way about her. And the dogs were on IV therapy every single night, never wow. missed. Uh, she called it a great reason to leave a bad party. 
early. Oh, I have to get home to the dogs. Um, but uh, yeah, horse it was people definitely... use that excuse too. Got to feed the horses. <laughs> yeah, um, but it was also something that she felt very, very committed to. And when um, her dogs finally passed away and lived much longer due to the care and love that she provided, and I think loving is just as important as the care that uh, when they were no longer with her, she kind of sunk into that what now phase because caregiving can begin to define you, I believe, and then you're lost and mm -hmm. you've been so caught up in this ritual and this way of life and kind of codependent in the caregiving journey because there's such a sense of purpose and love that's exchanged and there's this big void that can occur even if you were exhausted, even if it was inundating um, to you, I think afterwards people have this sense of, I don't know what I am right now. I don't know where to go and what to do. Very mm. much so. It's so true. And I would just warn people, if you if you don't want to be a caregiver, don't get a Pomeranian because they're so nervous dogs. <laughs> I, I've had one. And they just have one disorder after the other because dress kills, you know. And yeah, caregivers can learn a lesson so from that. Yeah. Very delicate animals, yes. Yes. So um, why do you feel that it's so important uh, for us to take care of our final affairs, even when we're young, you know, like, like you? I mean, that's the last thing on our minds. We want to think that we're invincible and we're never going to die and we can conquer the world or Wonder Woman or Superman. I think it's so important that everybody plan because life is full of uncertainty. You know, our unprecedented times that we find ourselves in now, we can certainly acknowledge that life holds no guarantees. And I don't only think it's important, I think it is an act of personal responsibility. This is something that I feel we must do. And there is 100, I mean, unless something, you know, major, major, you know, changes in our future, there's a 100% chance that our mortal existence is going to come to an end. So I believe that anybody who feels they may someday die must <laughs> do the responsible thing and plan. We go down the road and we see crosses. That is something where I call it a life tsunami. That is somebody's yeah. worst of days. But that is that is an entire family derailed and never the same. And that was unexpected out of the blue. Look what's happened with us in you know this pandemic and so much chaos and unexpected, you know, death and sickness and everything. So the time to plan is when you can, well before the crisis point, the decision maker should be you. You talked about caregiver guilt. Um, I That's deal right. with people all of the time who have so much guilt because the planning wasn't in place and they had to make those most difficult decisions as to what somebody would have wanted. And sometimes those decisions are uh, something that they spend the rest of their lives questioning, did I do the right thing? You know, would, you know, mom or dad or whomever wanted, uh, would they have wanted hydration, you know, and food withheld? Is this what was in line with their wishes? And sometimes people go to their grave questioning and uh, feeling so guilty about having had to make that decision. So when it's in writing, you've made the decision and you've alleviated your loved ones from that. And I'm shocked when, when a person who is uh, up there in age 
hasn't even thought about, you know, a, uh, what do they call it, a last um, a living will. Mm-hmm. They also call it, uh, what's the other name for it? Um, your health care proxy, your living will, um, your advanced directives. Advanced directive is the one I was mm-hmm. thinking of. Because my mother, I mean, she did that early. I did mine early on because who knows what's going to happen. And I don't want to be like that uh, famous person that was on the news that um, the husband wanted her plug pulled and the parents said, no, 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 we'll care for her. And, and But she never really um, wrote anything herself to Very see what we wanted. That. You know, because I don't want to be a vegetable. I don't want to be sustained mm-hmm. on a ventilator, uh, unless maybe I had coronavirus. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, you have to spell it out. Do you want, and it gets hard after a while, because when they were asking me the questions, then they got down to, well, how about the paddles? You know, what if your heart just stopped? And I says, hmm, because I know a lot of people uh, need the paddles for some reason. And then how about mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? Hmm, you know, where do you draw the line? You know what I mean? It's hard. When you think about how difficult they are just for us, imagine, uh, you know, casting that burden Mm. onto a family member because, you know, one of us would be incapable of doing it. And then what happens is we have siblings, we have extended family members. Nobody agrees. The infighting. Uh, I've seen entire families They dissolve over it. Never just yeah. I can promise you this. The person yeah, during my mother first. and my father's funeral, uh, some of these relatives were just coming out of the woodwork, people I've never seen before, you know, mm-hmm. sisters and brothers uh, who mm-hmm. live across the other side, and, and they're telling me, no, Joe wouldn't want this. And I says, listen, he told me what he wanted, and I'm doing it, and, of course, they still hated me for doing it, but I was guilt-free because I knew in my heart of hearts right. that this is what he wanted, and... And with my mother, this is what she wanted. Uh, he wanted to be cremated. He he was a very frugal man. He didn't want to spend a lot of money on a funeral. Um, uh, he wanted to just get the what the uh, Veterans uh, Association um, does a, a for people. Funeral. Yeah. A veteran's funeral. You know, he we buried him at the National Cemetery in Westwood, California, which is a very exclusive place. But they ran out of room. But they would take an urn. So, uh, you know, uh, and then they throw this religion at you. No, he wanted a Catholic funeral. And, you know, um, later on I found that somebody shoved a, a rosary bead inside his coffin. And, and I mean, you know, they do all sorts of kind, crazy things. But guilt is the underlying um, factor there. So you do want to uh, – I think it's a very selfish thing to not – handle it yourselves to say, oh, I'll just let them deal with it. Oh, no, you need to deal with it because just like you don't want to deal with it, you're struggling with what should I do? And it's 10 times worse for them because it's not their life. And many times they will live with the guilt forever. So uh, am I going too far in saying that it's selfish if you don't do it? No, and I, you've raised an important yeah. point because in the workshops that I do, people have a really great time. I've you know developed the 12 novel steps called Created Peace uh, and that's what it does in the end. It's It creates peace uh, for the people that come on board to the workshops and that work the book. But in my workshops, twice I've had somebody say when we got to the obituary section, and we have a great time with these. Uh, we laugh. We have fun. I mean, we really destigmatize death in these workshops. But somebody has said, 
I'm not doing this. This feels extremely arrogant and self selfish for me to write my own obituary. So mm -hmm. I honor that and I respect that after pointing out that it, this is a gift that you can give because in my book I say in the obituary section, if you say the word obituary slowly, it sounds like I bet you are weary. Obituary, I bet you are weary, <laughs> okay? And let me just go on record and say, if you are put to the task of having to write an obituary after you have lost somebody that you love, you are weary. You cannot produce your best work and you are scavenging around trying to find out details that you never really felt were so relevant in your relationship with them and it's difficult. Yeah. So are you talking about writing the other person's obituary in advance or writing your own? Because they're both own. great exercises. I think that people should write their own. And I'm kind of a, an obituary junkie because I think that <laughs> obituary is something that is fun and delightful and a beautiful legacy for you to leave. So I've helped people write a ton of obituaries. Um, my mother's, in fact, starts with, if you're reading this and didn't see me on the tennis courts today, <laughs> so, I mean, obituaries should. I think really I want you to write mine. <laughs> okay. um, they should speak to the person that you are, and they should really be colorful because your life is. And so, but to have somebody else do that, I think, is really to burden them. And so, I encourage people to write your obituary. And hey, if they change out around a few words, you're never going to know. You know. Oh, great! You agree with me. I love it when people agree with me. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back with Holly Kelly. <laughs> and uh, I noticed you put an E in both Holly and in Kelly. A lot of people don't. Uh, did you plan on that, or did your parents just like the letter E, or what the know, story behind we'll that? To, we'll have to upcredit that to my parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In Sesame Street, Sesame Street, you know how they say, and today's letter is E. They probably like that show. They probably did. So, yes. Anyway, as you can see, I go off the edge sometimes. Um, so that's really good that you have these workshops. Twelve steps, my gosh, I'm I'm surprised that you can come up with twelve things. But of course, you're you're Holly Kelly. Uh, of course, you're going to do that. You're you're great at all the final affairs, and uh, don't try to do this yourself. You need to go to Holly Kelly's website, which we'll give at the end of the show, and you need to have her take care of your final needs so that 
you don't have any guilt when the time comes. Because you know what? We could all be hit by a car tomorrow. I mean, my gosh, it happens. And, you know, with caregivers, 30% of them are dying before their loved ones do. So what you fear for others may come upon yourself. So I, I would just say take this seriously and don't don't go around saying, oh, not me, not me, because why not you, you know? And uh, death is just the next step. It's not anything to be feared. I remember that Twilight Zone uh, movie where the old lady kept uh, running from the angel of death, you know, and and Robert uh, Redford showed up. Yes, he was the angel of death. <laughs> That's an angel. <laughs> All right, we're digressing. Um, so what motivated you, Holly, to encourage people to plan for the end and inspire their grand new beginning? I mean, how did this start? If we, I know you spoke about some of it in the beginning, but... Uh, on about I, I actually stumbled across some research um, during my gerontological yeah. studies, you know, and, and the research was just shocking that, you know, less than 30% of people are preparing uh, for what 100% of us will do. So an advanced directive, you've done it. This is a very, most of the form is just describing. I mean, there's only a few pages where you actually fill in the blanks. I'm thinking, why is this form not being completed? It is so, so very important. So, so simple. And so... I, I thought about, you know, what is the reasons? And then I did a lot of research as to what the reasons were. And when I started identifying them, I said, you know what? I want to fix this. It's too important. I want to do what I can to up those numbers, to give people the tools. Uh, for one thing, people feel that death has a bit of a contagion effect, that if I look at death and if I acknowledge yes, it's death, contagious. And, you know, is it coming for me? Um, so people like to deny any thoughts about death. It's very scary. Yeah, my grandfather wouldn't write life. a will because yes. he was afraid that, that will, mm -hmm. if that was it. Yes, and so final affairs planning is tethered to um, death. And so I thought, okay, well, I need to do something that kind of is hold people's hands in the journey. I do this in the workshops, I do this in private consulting, but I do it in the book too. And so I made it fun. And the 12 steps are, you know, of course, we're going to create a bucket list. We answer a lot of questions. You fill in a lot of blanks. And as you do it, you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm on board. This isn't so bad. When you face death and you get to the other side of that burden that has been casting its shadows over you, the thing that you have been ignoring, once you've done it, the peace of mind that you receive from it is like giving you an entirely new leash on life. So you do your bucket list, which kind of gets you in the navigating mode. I have what I call the kick the bucket list, which is everything that you need to do to, you know, a bucket list is about living and dying is the deadline. A kick the bucket list is about dying and living is the deadline. In that, you need to make peace. You talked about caregiver guilt. We need to, you know, push that to the wayside. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive others. And we need to do everything um, that puts us in a peace-free zone in life. Some people wait till their deathbed to, you know, apologize for something. That's not the time to do it. So I encourage people to do it now. And the right. many other steps allow them to leave a legacy. And you're the person. I mean, you're you're so much better than Robert Redford being the angel of death, so to speak. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know you're so non-threatening. Here, let me help you. It's not so bad. 
here, let's do this. Take, let me have your hand, you know. And, and uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen, I know you're you're so young. If you haven't seen that Twilight Zone episode, I, you, I am not as young as you think I am. That's right. <laughs> she's not as young as we think she is, Adrian. Yeah, <laughs> or, I'm not as young. Or as I. <laughs> well, like I said, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. You would you would really enjoy it. Okay. Um, I wanted to mention. Uh, you know, I have. I'm I'm all there. I mean, I've done it all. And I even went to Forest so Lawn and bought the the plot, right? And um, being a businessman, they told me that it was a good investment because these plots increased in value. My gosh, it's, I bought it like 25 years ago. Uh, and prime real estate in Forest Lawn, you know, this, this little thing. I wanted to be cremated. My wife didn't. So she's got the big plot. I've got just a little thing beside her. Now she tells me she wants to be cremated. So I'm thinking about cashing in that plot. Because it really uh, went up in value, like four or five times in value. And so uh, I would encourage people to get the plot because one of the other things you don't want your loved ones to do is decide how much you want to spend on a funeral, for God's sakes. You know, they're they're like vultures, excuse me if you're a funeral director, but that's the feeling. You know, they're right up there with used car salesmen. And not all of you are, so don't get offended. No, but, not uh, all of are. All, there are lucky. rotten apples in every uh, barrel, but they just take advantage of you know your your hurting and and say, well, you know, you need to spend twenty thousand dollars on this. It's it's your mother, you know, and well, I don't have twenty thousand dollars. You know, well, isn't we have finance plan. Isn't there legislation now about that? Yes, and I talk about that in my book because I give people a lot of tools about, you know, prepaying for your funeral and stuff like that, uh, different ways to do that. But I talk about the legislation that is um, working for consumers on their side in their individual states because um, there was a lot of, you know, I would say that there was abuse. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to say that, you know, it has gone away, but there's so many things that people can do to have assurance that what they're buying on a prepaid uh, plan, um, you know, what if you bought it in Indiana, but you pass away in Florida? That's important that you know that it's not only, if, if you've changed your mind and you want to be buried in Florida, you mm -hmm. want to know that everything that you want that prepaid funeral to be is going to be there at the time. And so um, as far as even where the money that you prepay, where it's kept, what if the funeral home goes out of business, stuff like that. So I, I have entire chapter. In fact, it's, I think it's one of the longest chapters in the book because I really wanted people to have the tools as to not only what they wanted for their funeral. We ask a lot of questions in the book. I, I you know, get really, because people don't know, do I want to be cremated? Do I want to be buried? So we really go into that. I even talk to them about alternative uh, burials, green burials, which are becoming extremely popular. Um, do you want um, your ashes, you know, to go into the stars on a rocket ship? I mean, that can be done. There's reef burials. There's so Ooh, many others. Cryo cryogenic <laughs> freezing. There is so many people right now in cryogenic freezing. Because, really? yes, mm -hmm. they, they believe that at some point, um, that life will be endless and be able to bring their body back. And so they're in cryogenic freezing. So I talk about all of these different ways that somebody um, can make these really diverse decisions for themselves. And also, you know, down to the songs that you want played at the memorial. And, sure. 
do you want it to feel like a funeral or do you want it to feel like a party? You know, is party, it going to be right. inside of a church or is it going to be at a park? You know, or is it going to be at Disneyland? I mean, you can decide all these things for yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I do talk about that. You know, do you want it somber? Um, of course. Or do you, you want do. it a party? You know, <laughs> what do you, do you want you it to talk be? Do you talk about memorials as well? Yes. Yes, because the difference between a memorial and a funeral is, um, in my research, how is the body present? And so we're seeing so much difficulty right now with what's going on in the world that mm -hmm. people have lost a loved one. And yet because of the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders and things like that, they yep. are not able to actually have that closure. They're not able to have a funeral and stuff like that. Um, right. So many people will resort to having a memorial at a later date. Yeah. I mean, I um, found that uh, memorials uh, become a celebration of life uh, more so than a funeral can, and, well, at least in the Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and do and, you want an open casket or a closed casket? Right? That's very controversial. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. The questions are definitely there for each individual to answer. Yes. So did we cover all the planning? Or are there still more things uh, in the planning process for those who There's engage? There's so much. Um, you know, I use the, um, I use several scenarios in my book, many of them, where I'm asking people, what do you want? What do you envision? What do you see? And one example that I give in the book is, you know, do you want, um, you know, um, your pallbearers to be, you know, shirtless Chippendale-looking guys uh, to cheer things up? Do you want a graveside oh macarena? Um, oh do, you want, um, <laughs> do you want to play a last guilt card? If you were so involved with the, you know, let's say SPCA or the Humane Society or something, <laughs> do you want to play a last guilt card and ask everybody there to adopt a pet um, at the SPCA at your funeral? There is so many fun ways. And you will come back and haunt them if they don't. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, so I really invite people to really get to the heart of what they are and what they stand for and make sure that they give everybody the ability to heal through loving them and honoring them on that final tribute, whatever it is. Can I tell a very short story? Of course you can. Okay. At Steve's funeral, there were three eulogies. Uh, the third one is the one I'm speaking of. Steve, Steve was a, an accumulator. He bought stuff like crazy. So when it came to birthdays and things, it was impossible to give him anything. Uh, he had everything that he wanted, and he was a very lucky man that way. But his his one of his three best friends said something he's never had that he's, he may not have even known that he ever wanted was a standing ovation. So everyone stood and gave Steve a standing ovation. And it, as the widow, I mean, it, I was, I was beside myself. It was just the most beautiful thing that anybody could have done for him. So I wow. thought it was very you can original add that to your and book, really nice. Holly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Did you think of that, uh, Holly, or, or uh, is this the first time you heard that? 
I have not heard of a standing ovation. You know, okay. like some of the popular ones are, you know, we've heard of butterfly releases and, you know, um, of course, paralleling the metamorphosis um, of the next phase oh. of life, et cetera. Um, but no, there is there is so many different ways, and I talk about all of the different traditions and things that people have done, um, asked you know to happen at their funeral or memorial. It, it, it's really surprising some of the creative ways that people honor and and make those that are already they've lost so much. They allow them to laugh, and through that laughter is just the tiny little breadcrumb trail to healing. Yep. That's true. This becomes a fun process. It's not hard anymore. It's not morbid. You know, you're laughing and you're having fun and making jokes. Yes. Uh, yes. And the whole family can be involved, and they can say, "Well, what do you yes. think we should do?" You know, and and get the little kids involved. And and uh, mm -hmm. because, I, I do you know, say, give everybody a job. Give everybody a job. Give the children a job. Yeah. Give everybody a job, so that everybody feels vital mm -hmm. and important. And I, I ask completers of the book to assign roles and what you want people to do. Um, and if it's, you know, if it's your, you know, 10 year old grandson out there telling people where to park and somebody else greeting at the door, everybody should have a job and feel that you honored them with that. And you, you were certain that they were the one for that. And it makes everybody just feel a little better in life's darkest times. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, children were very protected and they weren't allowed right. to go to funerals. You are correct. And, you, and you are correct. Now the involvement is closure. Mm. I mean, I don't, yes. I, where did my great-grandparents go? You know, I knew them. Yes. They vanished. Yeah, so, they felt it, that by protecting, which isn't the case, that no. if you talk to children at their level, and that's key, and allow them the opportunity to have the same ability to you know, have we have to have death experiences in life because to live, we're going to lose, and it starts very early. And so I think that um, we definitely have evolved as a society um, beyond let's just kind of um, not allow children to be part of that. It would be too much or this or that. Yeah. Okay. Let's back up a little uh, to the event of death, and let's talk about things that we should be doing prior to death, like a bucket list. I mean, uh, that movie came out, remember? Uh, bucket list, uh, yeah. Walter Matthau and uh, and the other guy. Jack, and Nichols they were just... Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And, and then the other, the other movie about grumpy old men, you know. Yeah, that was, that was um, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. Yeah. <clears throat> so how can bucket lists prove the quality of life before we die? Well, I kind of revert in a lot of the work that I do to our childhood. And think about when you were young, you always had that next great thing that was happening. You knew mm. that, you know, a holiday was coming. You knew that there was a celebratory event. You knew that there was a big birthday party coming for you. You knew that summer vacation or this or that. You knew that you were having friends over for, you know, several of them for a sleepover. And that what happens in life oftentimes is this thing I call life interrupted, we're all too familiar with it. And it's when kind of life starts passing us by and our inner child that is timeless, that is ageless, that exists. And I promise you, super centenarians have their inner child in them. But we forget to give that inner child a voice and a placeholder 
as we continue to grow older. So I say that bucket list is definitely unleashing your inner child. It's so important for aging gratefully that we have things in front of us always, just like children, that is the next great thing that we're looking forward to. It can be big, it can be small. Some kids are happy that they're going to their favorite restaurant on the weekend. Some people are happy because of Friday night pizza night. And so I say bucket list <laughs> is not about money, you know? It has nothing to do with money. It can be this grandiose uh, cruise or trip or somewhere that you wanna visit. But a bucket list can also be, hey, I think I wanna visit the place that my family came from. And I wanna kind of go to those places and see that. A bucket list can be that you wanna see a long lost relative that you haven't visited in a long time. A bucket list can be, let's grab a blanket and we are going to go outside in the backyard with some hot chocolate, lay on our backs and we're gonna look at the stars. A bucket list is for your entire life and a bucket list is for your end of life. And it just changes as life changes. I think one of the most beautiful stories I ever um, heard was a lady was on her way to hospice and the ambulance had picked her up from her home, was driving her to hospice and he started talking to her and she was sad. I mean, she had nobody in her life and this ambulance driver was somebody that she enjoyed having a conversation with and her very difficult day for her. And so as they were talking, he said, what, you know, what is important to you? And she goes, I think I just want to see, I think I just want to see the sunset. And mm -hmm. he pulled the ambulance over on the side of the road and they sat there, he got two chairs out of the back of the ambulance and they sat there together and they watched the sunset. I mean, that to beautiful. me is beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Um, so there is, I have many ideas in the book for both bucket lists and of course your kick the bucket list, um, making peace and amends and of course making plans and activities. And so I just think that it's so important that we continue to have grand living in front of us as well as being in life in the present moment. Wow, that is really neat. Um, well, believe it or not, we're up on another break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52-year-old woman whose amazing talents resemble that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech-impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Who am I? My name is David. I've had the privilege of being Charlene's husband since 1975. We had a wonderful, fairy tale, storybook-like courtship that culminated in our marriage a year later. Charlene had just come out of a marriage where after 10 years, she received two black eyes and a broken nose by her former husband when he came home high on speed. Charlene believed in no second chances of any kind for abuse, so she left. Finding herself all alone in the world with her five and 10 year old daughters, Cynthia Lorraine and Deborah Lynn, she started raising them by herself for the next two years. Then fate brought us all together. After falling in love with Charlene, Cindy and Debbie, our love then produced Rebecca Elizabeth. We had a wonderful, normal life for the next 20 years. But today, things are very different for everyone. How about the reaction of nine-time Grammy and Dove Award recipient, the 
godfather of contemporary gospel Christian music, Andre Crouch. Charlene just won't let the promises of God go, and she has not let her circumstances get in the way of her faith. She's not just a survivor, she's more than a conqueror, as the Bible states. You'll be encouraged by her testimony, regardless of what you're going through. Available everywhere. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave show with my lovely co-host Adrian Gruberg and our guest, Holly Kelly. Um, and we're talking about things that we need to consider as we get older. So let's get back into that. Uh, as we grow older, Kelly, we may find ourselves more prone to being caregivers. We're talking about caregiving again. How can we prepare for this eventuality emotionally and mentally? Because like I say in my book, um, it's my life to thrive and stay alive as a caregiver. Uh, it's for people who know how to put their needs first. They just, they know they need to put their needs first. They just don't know how because everyone is eventually going to become or need a caregiver. There's no escaping it. Caregiving will touch your life one way or another. And now's the time to learn how to be a caregiver, not after tragedy strikes. And, you know, you don't know what to do. Kind of like I was. I, I didn't even know what a caregiver was. And all of a sudden I, well, I, I am one, you know. <laughs> Well, you're caregiver Dave, so you could probably answer this question. <laughs> well, now I am, but I didn't used to be. <laughs> Much better than I um, could. I think that just acknowledging that the probability uh, is high, and I think that you shared uh, something where, you know, there were four types of people in the world. I, th I think that it's so important that mm. we acknowledge that that's, that's, that's a role that we're probably going to find ourselves in. I, I, I want to digress for a moment and say that I'm a huge proponent and advocate of advanced planning of all kinds. That also includes long-term care insurance. I encourage people that you know um, are healthy to do that in advance because that can alleviate one of your large caregiver burdens when you buy yep. a proper policy that is built properly um, to be there when you need it. And that's the most important part, by the way, because the there's The younger you are when you do it, the better. Yes. Yeah, you lock I'm into still paying $130 a month from oh, you wouldn't 20 years what ago. I'm paying a month. <laughs> well, you got yes. it late in life. I got it in my uh, late 40s. And I'm 40s. paying it off in <clears throat> 10 years. <laughs> oh, you are. Okay, so you got you got a you got a 10 pay. That was very yeah. smart that you did that by the way, that you did the 10 pay. My wife on the other you. hand has none, and so that's why I got one. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, um, a great way for insurance companies to get rid of policyholders is by rate increases. So <laughs> I commend you um, on the 10-year pay. That was brilliant. Yes. Thank you. Because um, you, lock, you locked in your rate and you're done in 10 years, uh, even though it was a painful 10 years to make that premium payment. <laughs> yeah. Now you just have to hope that their company doesn't go bankrupt or anything, you know. Uh, the prudential? financial. Um, <laughs> oh, the PRU will never go bankrupt, yes. And, <laughs> and I would say that the probably... <laughs> um, to be able to do that, it does alleviate some financial burden um, to for, for your future and for your loved ones that for the loved ones, will yeah. be making decisions about your care. So that's for one thing. Uh, but I, I think as far as emotional, we know that caregiving can be grueling. It can be, uh, you know, emotionally taxing. Um, we also know that it can lead to physical decline. So I think that you know, the advice that you give often is to make sure that you are taking care of you and that you have self-care to ask for help is so important. I know that most people that I have talked to 
that have been caregivers, it was the most difficult time in their life, the most difficult job that they ever had. And yet, through it all, they were so gracious to have been able to do it. Um, and, and I think that we're seeing a very challenging time right now with caregiving. You have people that have a caregiver that has always been part of their journey, and only one person, and that was the patient, could go into the doctor's office. And so we had an incredible and are experiencing a lot of divide right now where we're having to be a removed caregiver, which isn't a comfort zone. Mm. And, uh, you know, our unprecedented circumstances are kind of squeezing some caregivers out. Um, you yeah. go into the doctor. Especially alone. in nursing homes, yeah. Yes. Well, and in I, hospitals, I think... too. The, the, you can't visit. People are dying alone. There was it's, this one um... gentleman who donated hundreds of uh, iPads so mm. that so that loved ones could face FaceTime with each other before they pass. I, I thought, thought that, that was, was a one that it was a yeah. wonderful I mean, gesture. Honestly, my, my heart aches for everybody that has endured incredible trials during this time. I, oh. If you think about the very worst thing that you can think about, I always say there's always worse ways. There's worse ways to die. There's worse this, there's yeah. worse that. But I have to tell you that for somebody to be there and to be removed from their family, that's agonizing. And my heart goes out to the strength of those families that endured that. And I, I send them all blessings and love um, because that was so, um, I, I'm sure, just not oh. ever the way that they envisioned losing somebody. And, and I want them to not have guilt because it mm. was out of their control for not being there. Totally. You know? So Holly, as a gerontologist, you focus on positive aging practices. A lot of yes. people struggle with the concept of growing older, uh, seeing the gray hairs, seeing the wrinkles, you know, uh, buying those things that you see on TV that removes the bags under your eyes in seconds <laughs> as we watch, you know. And so why do you say that aging is our fortune? Oh, wow. Aging is our fortune because if we're aging, we are very, very, very fortunate to be doing so. It beats the alternative, right? Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> if, if we're not aging, if we're not aging, it's not good. But I want to take you back to our ancestors long, long ago. And um, they would, you know, go to a new land and they would go by big boat or they would go by train. And you probably have seen in movies where they would carry around this big gargantuous trunk. And this this trunk was nearly as big as they were. And you saw them trying to carry them over, you know, gravel and difficult terrain and this was way before samsonite hit the scene with rolling yeah. wheels and <laughs> before there were wheels you know before they invented so, the wheel yes <laughs> yes um, and so i say that we all today still have a virtual trunk a treasure trunk that we carry with us and over time that trunk it takes a little bit of a beating here and there it gets scuffed it loses some of its shiny luster it may get a dent along life's way but when you open it up and you look inside you are blinded by the gems that we have accumulated in life you you have the um, pearls of wisdom you have the you know the emeralds of empathy the um the crystals of compassion there is so much in this trunk that we have accumulated and it is it makes us rich 
with all of the jewels that we accumulate throughout life. So that's why I say aging is our fortune, because we, we really do get a fortune as we journey through life. You know, I can just imagine you at 90, 95 years old, 99 <laughs> years old. You're going to be beautiful. Oh, <laughs> you're so sweet. You're going to age gratefully. <laughs> Thank you. You're sweet. I think we all will. Uh, why is your company motto, live vibrantly, plan thoughtfully, age dynamically? I want everybody to get on the right side of living, and I encourage everybody to live vibrantly. I say there's being alive and there's living. Being alive is that our body breathes for us without our consent or um, us asking it to. This is natural things, uh, that it does our heart. You know, when we're healthy, we've got a good beating heart. And there's so much that's orchestrated kind of on autopilot. So that's being alive. Living is us becoming a <clears throat> primary stakeholder in our living and aging journey. It is by choice, not um, by, it's by design, not by default. Um, living is something that we decide to do and that we attest to do each and every day. So that's um, live vibrantly. Plan thoughtfully is so important because you've only done part of the job if you haven't planned. And I want each person to plan thoughtfully and think about it using um, any any process. I mean, I've gone pretty deep in the process. I would venture to say, I mean, so I mean, I I know that people have received the book. Um, ministers have received the book and said, "Oh my goodness!" I mean, this job is like there's no unanswered questions because of the deceased person having completed the book. I have had people complete the book that are on, you know, hospice, and it actually brought them joy to be able to do this. It was a grand distraction for them to relive some beautiful memories that they leave in the book, uh, for them to complete their family tree, for them to say the lessons that they thought were most important for those that they were leaving behind. Um, there's so much about planning thoughtfully that I believe makes a rich life for you and even beyond you. Um, it, it allows you to have a legacy. And aging dynamically, I want everybody to love the stage they're in, and I want them to have you know, barrier-free um, growing older. I don't want them to think about age as something bad. I want them to love the stage they're in, realize that age is just a number, and I don't want them to feel like that number ever defines them. Uh, I want them to, to define themselves and not have any thoughts about age telling them, I can't do this at this age, or I can't do this at that age. I, I want them to push uh, society's message, just send it where Dave sent the spam caller. <laughs> and, um, I want them to really believe that they, they are limitless. And often it's simply our mind that is the barrier and how we think it to be. Wow, well said. Wonderful yeah. words to close on. So how can we get a hold of you and find out the 12 steps that we should be doing to plan for our eventual uh, future? Well, um, the book is on Amazon Prime. 
And yesterday there was one left. It keeps getting sold out, um, but um, oh, they get them back in stock pretty quick. So if um, if you place an order, you should you know they should be back in in stock in a few days if it's out. You can also mm. visit the LadderLifePlanningInstitute.com or HollyKelly.com takes you there, and I have the books there, and you can get autographed copies of the book there, and you know workshops and some of the many other things, uh, the radio show, um, a lot of the consulting and keynote speaking and stuff like that is there too. Awesome. And Adrian, how can we get a hold of you to find out more it's, about what you do at the Caregiver Space? It's Adrian at the caregiverspace.org and the link will take you to all our social media uh, if you should just scroll down to the bottom of the page. And what new and fun things are they doing at the caregiver space these days? Everything seems to change a lot over there. Things change the better. a lot over there. <laughs> you have yeah, uh, chat rooms now. Has that we come back? We have forums yep. and, and chats, and I'm, I've been doing some Zoom and some Facebook Lives and things Let like that. Let me know that. if you need any help, uh, male caregivers. They're, they're such I a rarity, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> And They're I'm a caregiver, Dave. Go ahead. We've got more, but you're a prime example. <laughs> yes. And I'm caregiverdave.com. And um, anyone who goes to caregiverdave.com, by the way, are going to get three free gifts. Can you say free? The first one free. is a copy of my book, or, uh, my very first book, which talks about my wife and I. Um, it's called, what's it called? One arm, one leg, 100 words, <laughs> overcoming unbelievable hardships. Too many books. I can't remember them all. And um, the second gift is to help you sleep because caregivers only get two or three hours rest every night. You know, I can't survive on two or three hours. They need eight mm -hmm. hours rest every single night. So important. So important. And so it's an audio um, soundtrack on how to fall asleep and how to stay asleep. It's actual a technique. So you just get into it. Next thing you know, you're asleep. It's morning. And the third gift is an online uh, quiz to help you see, are you a candidate for burnout? Some people already know. Some people kind of know. And some people have no clue. So this will give you a score. It'll help you improve your score. And it's uh, by AARP, so they know what they're talking about. And of course, we'd love everyone to join. It's a membership website. And by doing that, you get a whole bunch of resources and tools and coaching, you get an introductory uh, coaching session from me. And that's, as we know, it's priceless. Okay. Commercial is over. Talk to you guys <laughs> later. Thank you for tuning in every week. We love having everyone tune in on Facebook Live and on YouTube and on Vimeo and all those other uh, audio platforms. So we will see you next week. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Holly. Thanks, Adrian. And I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Thank you. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Keep breathing. Take it in and let it out. Keep Don't